0: What if it was your birthday? What if you won a million dollars? What if you got an awesome new toy? What if you got a perfect report card? Who would you tell? Who would you tell? Who would you tell? Who would you tell? Would you tell tell your family? Would you tell your friends? Would you tell everybody? Who would you tell? What would you say? Guess what? You've got to hear this. This is awesome. Would you tell them all about it? Would you leave anything out? Would they see your excitement? Who would you tell? What if God gave us His Son? To love us. To forgive us. To die for us. To be punished for us. Instead of us. To save us. The greatest gift ever. Who would you tell? Who would you tell? Who would you tell? Who would you tell? tell? Would you tell your family? Would you tell your friends? Would you tell everybody? Who would you tell? What would you say? guess what? You've got to hear this. This is awesome. Would you tell them all about it? Would you leave anything out? Would they see your excitement? Who would you tell? Who would you tell? We have a great message this morning and we want to share it with you. So we're going to tell you what we have here for you. It is cold. Thank you for being here. Despite the cold weather, my entire family, the first time our entire family has been able to gather together in one spot in over two years. What a blessing that has been. But you guys are going home soon, right? Family? Soon? No? Because it's been good now, but but, yeah. Too Too cold. Too cold. Too cold. Despite the cold, let me tell you this, it is a privilege that you have me here today. Let me tell you that, because it's cold, I didn't want to come here. I didn't want to, no, seriously, it's a privilege to be here this morning. Pastor Mike and his family are on a well-deserved holiday. They're out of town, I believe, and um, so we're going to look after things this morning. If you are a child and you received a clipboard, here is your task. You have to listen intently to the message. We should give one to all the adults, actually. And I want you to write, draw, draw a picture of what you think I'm preaching about. And then deliver it to Mrs. Sherry at the end of the service, and she has a, um, a reward, a prize, a whatever you want to call it, a bribe. And she'll give that to you when you return the pictures. And then we'll share the pictures um, next, next week, just so you can see your pictures up on the PowerPoint. Well, I'm going to tell you a story this morning. It's a story of four kings. It's not the story about the kings you think we might be talking about today on Boxing Day. This is a story of four kings who are all fighting for the same land, the same kingdom, for the same dominance in their region. If you you didn't know this was a biblical story, that it's actually found in our scriptures, you might mistakenly think, I'm telling you the story of a TV movie or a Hollywood blockbuster, or a New York Times bestseller. It has political intrigue, great battle scenes, drama, betrayal, and ends in the dreaded cliffhanger. There are swords, there's floods, horses, evil, miraculous events. And it would truly make for a great TV show or Hollywood movie if Hollywood was ever brave enough To tell the true story. You know, interesting, while this story was written 550 B.C., that's over 25,000, 2,500 years ago. It was, quote-unquote, confirmed to be true by an archaeologist in 1868. A gentleman by the name of Frederick Klein discovered what is now known today as the Moabite Stone in an area referred today as the Kingdom of Jordan. And now the king of Moab, Misha, wrote down the historical account of what we have in our scriptures as 2 Kings chapter 3. Only it was the Moabite side of the story written on the Moabite stone that was found. Today we're going to retell that story. But we're going to tell the story from God's perspective, not from King Misha's perspective that was written on that stone that was discovered in 1868. So there are four main players in our story. You got the king of the north, call that Israel. We got the king of the south, which is Judah. We got the king of the southeast, which was Edom, and the king of the east, which was Moab. No one liked each other very much. Now, at one time, these four king, these four kingdoms, if you can show the map. Um, were united alongside other lands and was known as the united kingdom of Israel. They were the promised land flowing with milk and honey that we read about in our scriptures. And slowly over time, due to evil kings, political maneuverings, and acts of aggression, the united kingdom of Israel broke apart. And so we have Moab in the east. They were the descendants of Lot's. Children, who were told in Genesis 19, were born of incest. Lot, remember, was Abraham's nephew. Now, For a bit of perspective, Ruth was a Moabite, so she would have come from this land. And Moses died and was buried in Moab. Then we have the kingdom of Edom. Edom is in the southeast there. There were descendants of Esau the son of Isaac, who sold his birthright for a bowl of stew to his brother Jacob. And then Jacob forcibly removed Esau, his brother, from the lands of Judah. And he became an enemy of Judah until they were wiped off the map and all its peoples killed. That's the kingdom of Edom. Now in the north we have the kingdom of Israel. They were the descendants of Joseph. Israel's kingdom once included their land plus all the other land that became known as the kingdom of Judah in the south. After King Solomon's death, the ten tribes of Israel refused to follow Solomon's successor, Rehoboam. And so they broke away from the remaining tribes of Judah and Benjamin in the south. And they set up their own kingdom, their own king, Jeroboam. He was a heavy-handed evil king. And so they became enemies of their brothers in the south of Judah. And God divorced them in the book of Hosea because of their spiritual adultery. Now during the days of Jesus, this area has become known as Samaria. Samaria. So then finally we have the kingdom of Judah in the south. They were the descendants of Jacob, that that brother who tempted Esau, his other brother with a bowl of stew. He stole the birthright from his brother, from Isaac's first son, Esau. Now despite their uneven history in Judah, they did stay faithful to the line of David and were known as the people of God. And Jesus came from the kingdom of Judah. So all four of those kingdoms disliked one another and they had good reason to. However, They were all descendants from the same man. They're a family. They were descended from Abraham. And Abraham was given an unconditional promise, a, a covenant with God. And it said this. It said, I will make you into a great nation. This is God speaking to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation. I will make your name great. Just look up in the heavens. Count the stars. So shall your offspring be. To your descendants, I give this land from the land from the from the land of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Catamanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So these four kingdoms in our scripture today were all a part of that promise that God gave to Abraham. All those people were included in that promise. They were also part of a second promise that God made. It's a promise that God made to Moses. It's another promise, but this was a conditional promise. Abraham's promise was unconditional. No matter what happened to them, no matter what they did, they were still a part of that promise. But the promise God made to Moses was conditional. It was based on a quid pro quo. Exodus 19.5. Now if you obey me. Oops. Now if you obey me fully. And keep my command. Then out of all nations. You will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine says God. You will be for me a kingdom of priests, and holy nation. That promise was also given to everyone under the Abrahamic promise. But it was conditional. It was conditioned on the fact that they had to be what? Obedient and keep the covenant. So if God's people obeyed, kept his commandments, God would protect them. And they would become a holy nation. And that would have been a large, a large nation. But sadly, only Judah in the south kept up their end of the covenant, the promise. Even though they were hot and cold spiritually throughout their history, they would eventually return to God and seek forgiveness and offer up repentance. Interestingly, God later in Scripture chooses to renew this covenant with his people of all places in the kingdom of Moab. It takes place in Deuteronomy 29. I say it's interesting because in our story today, Moab is that evil kingdom that forces together three other enemies to come together as one to fight against Moab's wickedness and their evil ways. And that's where our story begins. It begins in Second Kings in the Old Testament. 2 Kings chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, says this. Joram, son of Ahab, became king of Israel in Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned 12 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but, but not as his father and mother had done. He got rid of the sacred stone of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He did not turn away from them. So our first king enters the story. It's Joram, the king of Israel in the north. Joram came from a family that was far from beyond dysfunctional. His father Ahab was one of the worst kings the northern kingdom of Israel had ever knew. And his mother Jezebel was certainly the worst queen Israel ever knew. While, while he did get rid of some of the wickedness from his father and mother's reign, getting rid of the, the Baal statues, for instance, the idolatry, he still did evil in the eyes of the Lord, clinging to Jeroboam's sin. And that sin was denying the kingship rights of the Davidic line, the line of King David. And the other sin was not worshipping Yahweh God. Second Kings 3, 4, and 5. Now Misha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder. And he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But it happened that when Ahab died, that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. The Moabites lived on the eastern side of the Dead Sea, and they were under tribute to Israel. They had to give taxes to Israel in the form of sheep and rams. So when King Ahab died, the king of Moab the king of the Moabites, Misha, saw an opportunity to escape the taxation that the king of Israel forced upon him. And you know what happens when you fail to pay your taxes. Which brings us to 2 Kings, verses 6 and 8. So, King Joram went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all of Israel. Then he went and said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying... The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. And then he said, which way shall we go up? And he answered, by way of the wilderness of Edom. Angered by the slap in the face by the Edomite king. Joram raised not only his nation's army, but asked his brethren in the south, King Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, for help. Now, now, lucky for Joram, Jehoshaphat in the south was a godly king who followed in the godly footsteps of his father Asa. Despite being long separated by a sort of civil war, Jehoshaphat was willing to come together to fight their common enemy. Perhaps because Jehoshaphat had more experience in battle, Joram asked for military advice, which way shall we go to attack Moab? And Jehoshaphat's answer was to go through the dry desert of the Edomites, who was an enemy to both Israel and Judah, the north and the south. But it was smart to attack Moab from the south through the desert of Edom, Because they wouldn't be expecting it. Because first, the south and the north